0: KMTT, Kimitzion Te You are listening to the Arab Shabbat program, Arab Shabbat Kodesh Parashat Toldot. Kafchet Cheshwan. And I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. This year I've taken a project on myself to try to look at the Sforno on every week's Parsha. It's a <coughs> nice size project because it's not too big, but it's something relatively new probably seen Sforno here and there, but never consistently, and it's not an overwhelmingly sized project, so it's been a good project. Something I saw in this this week relates to tefillah once again, as we discussed tefillah last week. Last week we discussed the tefillah of a person for oneself as opposed to a tefillah for others. To a certain extent, we're going to look at tefillah at a different angle this week, perhaps an opposite angle, perhaps not. The of makes the following comment. And here, please bear with me, I'd like to take you through the, the learning process along with the conclusion. Often the learning process itself can be as significant, if not more, than the actual conclusions of the learning process. Vayetar Yitzchak Ladonai lenochach ishto ki akarahi vayeater lo Adonai vatahariv ka ishto. Yitzchak prayed to Hashem lenochach ishto, whether that physically opposite his wife or regarding his wife ki akarahi because she was barren. Vayeater lo Hashem and Hashem answered his tefillot vatahariv ka ishto and Rivka his wife became pregnant. The Sforno comments that although Yitzchak was promised to have children, and here in brackets we can raise a question: where exactly, previous to this pasuk, was Yitzchak promised that he would have children? But let's let's assume the Sforno's assumption for now. Though he was promised that he would have children, he prayed for his wife that she, as the, his appropriate match, should bear his children, and not from another, not from another wife or another woman. In other words, Yitzchak, according to the Sforno, is not praying for himself he's going to have children. He's That's money in the, ba- in the bank as far as Yitzchak is concerned. He has a promise from God he's going to have children. What he's praying for is that Rivka should bear that child for him. Because Rivka is the appropriate wife for him and he wants her to have the child with him. This sporno made me immediately, reminded me, made me think of a Rashi, in next week's Parsha. Rashi, in next week's Parsha describes Rachel Imenu's troubles with her barrenness. And the Pasuk says as following Rachel, seeing that Leah has already had four children and she has none, give me children. And if not, I'm going to die, or I want to die. And Yaakov got angry at Rachel. Am I in the place of God that has withheld from you children? If we look at the Pshat, we could say they are arguing as to who is responsible for this, perhaps an irrational type of argument. How can Rachel say to Yaakov, give me children? And Yaakov's response is therefore very logical. What am I, God? And Rashi understands that something deeper is going on here. She's not asking him for children. She's asking him to pray for her. Your father prayed for your mother. and then, then Yaakov's response, according to Rashi, is, you, you're, you are telling me that I should do like my father did? I'm not like my father. My father did not have children. I have children. He has withheld children from you and not for me. So then Rashi says that Yaakov is telling Rachel that I cannot pray for you because I have children Yitzchak when he prayed he was praying for himself and for Rivka because they didn't have any children not he and not her but I have children I cannot be in the same place as my father Yitzchak this is interesting on several levels on the first level it somewhat relates to what we discussed last week Yaakov might be challenging Rachel to pray for herself. This is not my tzara, this is not my problem, because I have children. If you want children, you have to pray to God for yourself. So that relates to what we talked about last week, about the power of the tefillah, of the individual for themselves, as opposed to an outside person's tefillah. But, what's interesting is that Rashi is against the Sfarno. As far as the Sfarno is concerned, Yitzchak, though he doesn't have yet children, he's promised children. He is confident that he will have children. As I said, it's, it's money in the bank. But yet he prays for Rivka because he wants her to have the child. As opposed to Rashi... In the case of Yaakov and Rachel, Yaakov also has money in the bank. He already has actual children, and he does not pray for Rachel. This, this, all this made me think. We can accept. Obviously, there's a machloket as to how to regard the Yitzchak situation. According to Rashi, Yitzchak is praying for himself first and foremost, and that's why he's praying for himself and Rivka. And the Sforno is saying, no, Yitzchak is not praying for himself. He's praying only for Rivka because he knows he's going to have children. So we can accept Rashi's position or we can accept the Sforno's position vis-à-vis Yitzchak and Rivka. However, all this made me think about our three Imahot who were Akarot, Sarah, Rivka and Rachel. Though according to Chazal, Le'a too is an Akara, it's very hard to read that. In the Psukim, it's very hard to read that in the timeline of when Le'a had six children within seven years. It doesn't seem to be a lot of time here to be barren. When we think about Sarah, Rachel, and Rivka, there's two planes to compare them on. One plane is how long they were Akhara for. And when I say here how long, I'm not necessarily talking about years because the the question of the years is kind of hard to determine from the Psukim. We don't know how long Rivka was in Akara for. We have a general idea as to how long Rachel was in Akhara for. And we have a general idea as to how long Sarah was in Akara for. Sarah's Zakharut was certainly the longest. But again, Rivka's Could be up to twenty years as well. I'm not talking about, as I said, I'm not talking about the time period, but the time period within the Torah. What does that mean? We're following Sarah for many chapters in Sefer Bereshit, in which she's in Akara. She's in Akara. Already at the end of Parshat Noach, Vatihi Sarai Akara in lavalad. So at the end of Parshat Noach, Sarah is an Akara. She's an Akara throughout Parshat Lechlecha. And towards the end of Parshat Vayera, she has a child. So Sarah's Akarut, her barrenness, is something that's at the forefront for a significant part of Sefer Bereshit. Rachel comes in second place. It's not as many chapters, but certainly a significant period within the text. Rachel Zakara, it's a topic of discussion. As we saw in the Psukim, Rachel is jealous of Leah. She gives over her 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 shivchar bilha her, her to Yaakov. And finally she has a son. Contrast this with Rivka. If somebody... Nods off in the middle of Kriyat Torah during Parshat Toldot for about 10 seconds, they will miss the fact that Rivka is an Akara. Because the same Pasuk that tells us she is an Akara tells us that she becomes pregnant. Within the same Pasuk, we find out that Rivka is an Akara. Yitzchak prays and Rivka becomes pregnant. As I said, if someone would fall asleep for a few seconds during Kreata Torah and Shabbat, they may not know that Rivka was even an Akara, a barren woman. And here is where I want to compare the second plane. Because irrelevant of whose interpretation you accept Sforno's or Rashi's, there is no doubt that the only of our fathers that is positively identified as having prayed for his wife's barrenness is Yitzchak. The Torah does not tell us that Abraham prayed for Sarah. The Torah does not tell us that Yaakov prayed, prayed for Rachel. According to Rashi, the Torah even tells us that he refused to pray for Rachel. Yitzchak did. When we talk about omissions in the Torah, in Tanakh in general, it's hard to draw conclusions. Omissions, per se, are not proofs, because it doesn't say that Abraham didn't thank God before he drank water, or before he ate bread, but it doesn't mean he didn't. It's just not something that's discussed in the Torah. Omissions are only significant if we find that they are addressed in other places, Until we read about Yitzchak praying for Rivka, we can say, yeah, of course Abraham prayed for Sarah to have a child. The Torah doesn't mention everything. The Torah doesn't mention that Abraham prayed for Parnassah. The Torah doesn't mention that Abraham prayed for good health. But it's a safe assumption, or it's a good assumption, it's a reasonable assumption that perhaps he did, but the Torah didn't find it significant to write that information down. Omissions are significant then when they are included in one place and not in another place. And as a result of this discussion within the Sforno, it appears correct to conclude that the Torah is telling us something about Yitzchak's prayer about Rivka as opposed to his father and his son. Whether he prayed and they did not, or his prayer was more significant and therefore necessary to be written down, and their prayer, their prayers were not. In either case, we have to conclude here that Yitzchak's prayers for Rivka were tremendously significant. They were mentioned, number one, and number two, they are so powerful, and this is a very literary point here, that Rivka's akharut is solved within one pasuk. The power of Yitzchak's tefillot are such that her akharut are almost, her barrenness is almost not noticed because Yitzchak intervened on her side. This is something that I just want to take to the opposite place of what we discussed last week. Because if last week we discussed the powers of the individual's prayers for oneself, when we think about a barren woman and what she's going through and the difficulty that she's going through, there's a barren woman who's going through her problems of barrenness on her own. As Rashi describes Rachel, because Yaakov, seeing that he has sons, is not empathizing with her and not sympathizing with her. Avraham, once he has Ishmael, is in a different place than Sarah as well. In fact, when God promises him that he will have Yitzchak, he says, but I already have Ishmael. Yeah, Yitzchak's prayer for Rivka, certainly Yitzchak being without a child, but even if we, especially if we accept the Sforno, that Yitzchak knew he was going to have a child, is a prayer which looks out for the other, and allows the other not to be alone. Rivka, Rivka, Rivka's barrenness was so not significant to be discussed at length because her barrenness was shared with her husband, whether because he didn't have a child, as is a simple shot and all the more so if it's because he was praying for her. She was not alone because she wasn't left alone to suffer in her misery of being barren. She had her husband giving support and praying for her. And here is a new idea in the power of tefillah, that when we do pray for another, we have the ability to give them support, to make them feel that they're not alone. Again, last week we discussed that the power of the individual's prayer for themselves is more powerful because that's a tefillah that is the most heartfelt. And this week, we are saying that the tefillah of another for someone else's suffering has the ability to help that someone through their suffering, to show that someone out there is with them, that they're not suffering on their own, they are not in a place by themselves. And that's why I think the Torah doesn't have to describe Rivka's barrenness at length. She didn't go through this alone. She had a husband praying with her. Whether it's because the husband was praying for her because he was also praying for himself, as Rashi says in Parshat Vayetzeh, or because even though Yitzchak knew he was going to have a son, he was still praying for Rivka. And Yitzchak reached out to Rivka and through his prayers helped her get her through the Akarut that the Torah doesn't have to describe a great length her Akarut as it describes Sarah's Akarut and Rachel's Akarut. The Torah briefly describes that Rivka is barren, though she might have been barren for 20 years, according to the pshat. But because she had a husband next to her praying for her, that made the barrenness more... Bearable to go through on a day-to-day basis. And that's the power of a person praying for another. When a person prays for another and that other knows that that person is praying for them, they're not left alone in their suffering. They have someone who's sharing the suffering with them and helping them carry the load of the suffering somewhat of a completion of the picture from last week. Last week, the prayers for an individual, for themselves. And this week, the help and support that one can get knowing that someone else is praying for us as well. Shabbat Shalom.